starting a new series. Uh, last week we had six wonderful people come up here and do a chapter each in English, Swedish, English, Swedish, I think was the way around, as we kind of went through the first six chapters of Daniel, which I hope you found helpful. Uh, we, we value scripture massively in this church, and it's really important to preach through small sections of scripture and unpack it and see what God is saying to us. It's also really important just to sort of sits under the breadth of scripture at times as well and kind of get a bit of like okay well this is this is the bigger story this is the kind of the, you know the 70 odd years of Daniel's life which was one of the comments at small group is that oh wow actually Daniel didn't say, stay the same age he like he gets older throughout the book and it's just really helpful to sort of sit down oh yeah okay this is what happened in in a long period of Daniel's life so uh New series, we called uh, our series Faithful in Exile, both looking at Daniel as he is faithful in exile, but also a God who is faithful to Daniel in exile. And if you've ever been around church, uh, really for any length of time, you will have heard of some of the stories that we heard last week, stories about lions and dens, stories about fiery furnaces, even sayings, things like, the writing is on the wall, which is a very English saying. They find their, their home, their beginning point in the book of Daniel. And quite often we'll remember back to our, those that have been churched as children, we'll remember back to our little drawings of Daniel in the lion den, and it's like nice, like smiley, like lions and stuff, and like fiery furnace, all looking nice. The reality is they're actually rather inappropriate stories for kids. They're intense. Like, there's some real serious stuff. I assume you, like me, last week, as you were listening, you're like, wow, the king said what? The king did what? It's like my, my Sunday school, my kid's work teacher left that bit of the story out, and rightfully so, thankfully. Otherwise, I'd be more messed up than I already am, probably. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're great stories. But we want to really, over these next weeks, up until summer, uh, look at what these stories that happened all those years ago have to say to us today. And they do have a lot to say to us, which is wonderful. It's crazy when you think about how the world has changed in those two, two and a half thousand years, yet God remains the same. And scripture still speaks in to our lives today. It's in a world where you can write something on chat GPT and kind of make it say whatever you want, or whatever it wants. It's crazy, really. It's scary. The future is scary. Um, But actually, the the word that was written all those years ago still speaks powerfully. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn them to Daniel. Uh, On the screen behind me, as you do that, I want to talk to you about a river called the River Derwent, which can be found in uh, a place in the north of England, uh, where I come from, and where I met my beautiful uh, wife, uh, then of around the age of 19, Nina. Uh, and at this, uh, this river, I, uh, I decided to, I guess, impress my potential future wife. I can't remember if we were a girlfriend or boyfriend or if it was even before that. You see, I was going to university studying outdoor education. So my day-to-day life looked like rock climbing, uh, canoeing, mountaineering, caving, gorge walking, basically anything you could do outdoors was what I was doing. And one of those things was kayaking. And so we'd go down rivers in a kayak, so you know, like, close top, paddle, 
down rapids, super, super fun, and I thought, what a chance I have to impress my future, possible future wife, Nina. Because on the River Derwent, as tame as it looks there, there are a few rapids, there are a few sections which are quite exciting. And we found out we were going to be going to this river, it's about an hour from my university. I rang Nina, I said, hey, why don't you come, stand in a corner and wait to see me come by. <laughs> You all know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> Wonderful. So, my idea didn't kind of follow along with my body's level of skill, basically. And I was paddling with all my friends who are actually very good at kayaking. I generally am in groups of friends, and everyone is always better than me at everything. Uh, but it was paddling, and we were, we were paddling going down these rapids, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, a tree branch was like across the river. And for whatever reason, I don't know, but it got put there by God, and why? And I hit that tree, and the rapid, the, the currents were pulling my kayak away. And if you've ever been in a kayak, you know, um, and if you've ever been in a river with strong currents, you will know that it's a lot stronger than your body, however strong you think you are. And I just kind of <laughs> had to let go, and there went my kayak. And in my buoyancy aid, I was kind of like floating down the river. <laughs> Went around the corner, there's Nina, this beautiful woman, and I'm kind of like there, like, hello. All, all, all my friends paddled down and looked impressive. So I think the reason Nina married me was out of pity. <laughs> Definitely she wasn't impressed with my level of kayaking. But if you've ever been in a, in a river or in a situation where you find yourself in some sort of current, you will know it's very strong. It's very powerful. And the fittest, the strongest swimmers amongst us would struggle to go up, upstream. Perhaps you could manage it for a bit, but then the current is just going to take you away. That is one of the themes that we unpack in the book of Daniel. Because being a Christian is, is very, very hard work. Am I right? At least it is for me. Following Jesus is a day-by-day -day decision to say no to the flesh, to say no to things, and it is hard work. I guess to sort of challenge you, but if it's not hard work, I'd challenge you, like, are you following Jesus properly? Because being a Christian is hard work. And yet, as we go through the book of Daniel, we see even though he's in the current of culture that is kind of pulling him, dragging him downstream, he remains faithful. And so questions will arise over these next weeks and months as we look at the book. Like, what made, motivates us to remain faithful? Why don't we just let go? What motivates us to swim against a current of culture that is just dragging us downstream? Why don't we just let go? What's our motivations? How can we remain faithful when everyone is pushing against us, when culture is pushing against us? Where is God in the difficult parts of life? These are questions that we're going to hopefully learn about in Daniel and hopefully challenge us and find some answers as we go through the book. And as we get to Daniel, as we open the scriptures, we see the Israelites. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, the people of God, it's a, it's a journey of ups and downs. And here we see the Israelites in a very, very low spot. Promises spoken to the forefathers are really hanging in the balance. You said we were going to be a great nation. 
Well, when we get to Daniel 1, promises are looking very, very, very fragile, hanging by a thread. In fact, Jerusalem has been conquered, which immediately throws a question out there. Why? Because Israel, the people of God, they are his special nation, his chosen nation, the nation of Abraham and Moses and and David, the prophets and the kings. So why have they been overrun by this Babylonian empire, by this Babylonian king? And the backstory of this situation is that God hadn't lost his touch. Because it's very easy to say, oh, well, it looks like God's kind of been defeated in this one. It's kind of one to the enemy. But the backstory is that as God brings his people out of captivity in Egypt, into the desert, then into the promised land, God says, I want a covenant with you. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to be my people. I'm going to be your God. This is beautiful. You're going to look different to the people around you. As I bring you into the land, as I, as I sort of expel people out of them and I bring you into it, you're going to look different. You're going to be different. You will be my people. I will be my God. Follow what I say and you will receive blessings. It will go well for you in the land. Disobey what I say and there's going to be some problems. There's going to be some challenges because you will not be representing me how I want to be represented to the nations. And we see sometimes they follow. Most of the time they don't. And so there's this journey of the Israelites going up and down and and you've got prophets because there is grace in the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament Jesus thing. There is grace in the Old Testament. God is the same in the New and the Old Testament. And and you see um, warnings from people like Isaiah, prophetic words from God to Isaiah and Jeremiah warning them. Turn back. Don't make those mistakes. Remember what God said. Blessings. Blessings go this way if you're obedient. But if you're not, there's going to be some trouble. Time and time again, the Israelites um, drive against a red light, drive through a red light. Red light, red light, red light. Until we get to Daniel chapter 1. So let's read. In the third year of the reign of King of Jehoquim, King of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So what we see here is God following through on his promises. Promises of of warnings, of if you disobey, things will happen. I will hand you over to your enemies. Here we see God being faithful. Sometimes God's faithfulness is difficult to hear, right? Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in to the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. 
They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Have a drink after all those names. So we've got Daniel and his friends, who probably would have been about the age of 14, 15, 16, kind of playing whatever the equivalent would have been of football two and a half thousand years ago, or cricket two and a half thousand years ago, in their hometown of Jerusalem, suddenly ripped out and placed in Babylon. 14, 15, 16-year-old boys ripped out of everything they knew. Family, the streets they walked on as kids, the, the, the friends that they had ripped out and put into Babylon, the biggest city in the known world at the time. Talk about wealth, talk about power, talk about different gods. Even as, as they, they, they get renamed, they had names that represented the Israelite God, and they get renamed to names that represent some of the Babylonian gods. Engineering, architecture, everything would have been so, so different to Jerusalem, to where, where they were. It, it, this was not part of their 10-year plan. They hadn't planned to be ripped out by a conquering army and placed in a city that would have looked big, scary, powerful. They got thrown straight in the river with a very, very, very strong current. They were, if you like, a bit like holding on to the tree <laughs> like I was. And if we were to stop reading there, we would rightfully ask the question, where is God? Because if we, if we just read that little bit of scripture, we'd rightfully say, where is God? Because it doesn't seem like he's anywhere, that, anywhere there. It seems like his people have been defeated and the cream of the crop, the, uh, the best, youngest, best looking, have been brought into the city of the enemy. But we have the privilege of turning the page, as we did last week. And we see the big picture. We see the end game. We see that over Daniel's life, even though there was challenges and there was difficulties, God was there. God was working. And we have that privilege, don't we? You can read his life in just a few chapters. And we see that God had a plan. There he is. There he is. There he is. I wonder how your 10-year plan is going. Because life rarely goes as we expect it. There's not many that will be, yep, absolutely everything's gone right to plan. If there is, you can um, give me some advice after this meeting. But life is tough. Life has this funny way of just kind of like ripping us from Jerusalem and putting us in Babylon. Kind of we're having fun with our friends and we're playing football on the streets of Jerusalem and then loads of possibilities and suddenly life puts us in Babylon. And it's difficult. It's tough. And Jesus said, in John 16, I believe, 
something that we don't often have as a quote on our fridge magnets. He said this, you will have trouble. Yet we, we don't have that on our, I don't know if anyone does, I'm impressed, but we don't have that on our, on our fridge. And so when life is tough, it catches us off guard. Yet Jesus said all along, life is going to be tough. You will have trouble. But as we, as we live with the reality of unanswered prayers, or prayers answered in ways we weren't expecting, as we live with frustrations, as we live with disagreements, as we live with perhaps a drought of feeling the presence of God. Oh, I'm thirsty, God, but I always feel so dry. As we live with real realities, we can ask the question, where is God? Where is God in all this? And we don't have the privilege of just turning the page to chapter 2 at the moment. Because we are living in the middle of the story. And so we have the privilege of doing that for Daniel. Say, oh no, there's God, there's God, there's God. Actually, in our lives, we don't have that privilege. Now maybe tomorrow, chapter 2 begins to be written. Who knows? Maybe even this afternoon. But we don't know that. And so it's very difficult living in the now. And like the Israelites, when things don't go as they kind of you know, expected, and as God doesn't appear as they wanted him to, even though he appears in incredibly miraculous ways, we have choices to make. Like, how do we respond when life doesn't go as we expect it, when life goes from Jerusalem to Babylon? How do we respond? And the biggest temptation I want to suggest is that we stop swimming. Is that um, we become lukewarm. Is that we kind of, ah, we lose our first love, if you like. I don't know how you remember first getting, wow. Like first knowing, like realizing that Jesus loves you, that he has forgiven you, that you, you have hope, that you have a future. I don't know how you remember that. I remember literally driving on a bus in Mexico around like these cliffs that like looked like we were going to top, topple off at any moment. Be like, I'm so excited to love you, be known by you, Jesus. I love you. And there's this incredible love and hope and excitement of who Jesus was. I don't know what it was like for you, but what can happen when we, life kind of like just time after time, there's disappointments and unanswered prayers, we can just become lukewarm. And those feelings of love and excitement that we once had as we were driving around the, <laughs> on the bus in Mexico can kind of just fade. And we can stop swimming against the current. We can become lukewarm. I wonder what the temptations would have been for these four teenagers, young, 14, 15, 16, around that age, good-looking, clever, not only were they clever, they were quick to learn, from wealthy families, being trained in the king's court. I mean, talk about an opportunity, having been brought out of Jerusalem, put into Babylon, they have a wonderful opportunity to say, well, where is God anyway? What's God done for me? And now, look at, do you know what, these girls quite like the Jerusalem accent. Very handsome. I'm young. There must have been real life 
temptations. And we kind of think about that. Well, you can see the end of the story. Actually, in the moment, what would you have done if you were Daniel or one of the others? Give, like having all the opportunity in the world for sure. And God's kind of, he seems to have left us. There's real temptations for Daniel and co to kind of go with the flow, to just get a bit lukewarm. Ah, or maybe we'll go to the temple on a Sunday, kind of, just say a quick prayer. But that passion that I used to have, ah, where's God anyway? Uh, I think we can all find ourselves in situations like this. I speak for myself, but I think I speak for everyone. We can all find ourselves frustrated with what God is doing in our lives. We can. Why didn't you answer that prayer? Why didn't you save that person? You know, I've been praying for these wonderful people, my family, to, be, to know you all their life. Do you know how much hope there is in knowing you, Jesus? Can't you give them that hope? And it doesn't seem like they're going anywhere. There's real, real frustrations, and, and that's, that's okay. And, but what can happen, and this is the danger, and this is what we cannot allow to happen, is that faith can slowly die out. I've been hurt, I've been burnt one too many times by God, by church, by Christianity. Therefore, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take the safe route. I'm not going to get as involved as I once was. I'm going to take um, like the easier path. And it's in these moments of frustration and kind of being bought from one place and put into Babylon where the rubber hits the road. It's these moments that are the moments of truth. What do we do? What do you do? It's in these moments that we actually really find like, how strong are our foundations. Because it's easy to have good foundations when everything is going well. Surrounded by the brothers and sisters. It's so important to be... It's such a pretty... I said to Nina this, we're so such a privilege to open the scripture and be with brothers and sisters. It's great. But what about when we're in the lion's den? We'll get on to that. Suddenly, it's, this is when we find out how strong our foundations really, really are. And the, the wonderful thing is, is, as we go through the book and we see Daniel's journey, what we will see is a man and men of incredible faithfulness in incredible challenge. Incredible. Sometimes swimming against the current. Sometimes, actually, I mean, the way they served and the way they speak to the king and the officials, such respect. Sometimes they're going with the current in godly wisdom. Incredibly wise. But what we see is such a faithful group of young guys and as they get older. And I want to suggest the foundation of their rock-like faithfulness uh, is found right at the beginning of the book in verse 2, where it says this, And the Lord delivered Jehoquim into his hand. So who delivered victory to the Babylonians? Was God out of control? Did he lose this one? Is it kind of like a, you know, okay, you, a punch and a punch and a kick and a kick, and okay, well, he actually lost this one. Who delivered Jerusalem into the hands of the Babylonian king. And as crazy as it sounds, and again, it is hard to get our head around this, but God delivered. Check it out. Verse 2, the Lord delivered. So the defeat 
was not based on a power-hungry king from Babylon. It wasn't even arguably based on a whole bunch of Israelites' decisions to not be obedient when God said be obedient. Actually, over all of that is the sovereignty of the creator God. It is all a work of God. And Daniel gives us a secret to faithfulness right at the beginning of the book. And it is this. God is sovereign. He's sovereign in Jerusalem. And he's sovereign in Babylon. God is sovereign wherever you find yourself. He knows the sovereignty of God. And in that, he can rest. He can find hope and faith and courage and joy as he finds himself in a place that wasn't on his 10-year plan. And as we go through this book, I will see time and time again, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is over everything. He is sovereign over dreams. He is sovereign over the mouths of lions. He is sovereign over a fiery furnace. He is, as we'll find out next week, sovereign over food and our bodies. He is sovereign over everything. This is the theme of Daniel, but it doesn't mean it will be easy. I don't think it was easy when it was actually his friends who were speaking said, Joe, well, actually, if you're going to throw us into the furnace, you're going to have to throw us because we're not going to bow. I don't think that would have been easy. But God is sovereign. There is always hope because of that. And friends, we've really got to settle this in our hearts. We really have to. Because I think we're going to be, um, we're going to be like babes if we don't. We're going to be like children, and God doesn't want us to stay as children in our faith. He wants us to grow into maturity. I have three wonderful boys, um, and I want them all to mature, right? Uh, Freddie now is allowed to go to the toilet on his own during kids' club. Woohoo! It's like a maturity thing. Like, he wasn't allowed to before. We had to get phoned and take him there ourselves. Like, we want him to mature. I don't want to be taking Freddie to the toilet for the rest of his life. You'll be pleased to know. We want our kids to mature, right? God, our Father, wants us to mature. And if we're just kind of getting blown around by every wind and doctrine, as we just get blown around by circumstances, because we thought we were in Jerusalem, we wanted to be in Jerusalem, but we find ourselves in Babylon, we're just going to be like infants. We're going to be like babes in the faith. So, 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 so important that we settle this and Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4, talks about being tossed about. And Christian maturity is standing firm when your 10-year plan doesn't go as you expect it. When you get news that just rocks the boat. Being a mature Christian says, and in you, Jesus, I find my hope. Not in circumstances. In you, Jesus, I find my joy. Not in circumstances. In you, Jesus. Got to get it. We just got to settle this, and it and it is difficult. And it's wonderful to see people like agreeing. And yet, when tomorrow comes, and when that next bit of tough news comes, what actually happens when the rubber actually hits the road? Where are we? Because it is easy to agree on a Sunday morning. But what about when life gets difficult? 
friends, we've got to build into ourselves a maturity, like a strength, because the world is difficult. The river is strong. There will be challenges, as we know. I mean, I don't need to say this. You all know that. And we've got to settle, settle this, that we will have tough times. And to be honest, it will sometimes feel like God is not there. There will be frustrations. Where are you, God? I've not felt your presence for years now. You've not answered a prayer for years now. Where are you, God? And we've got to settle that it's in those times, actually, that we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to be vulnerable to the wind, or the, the, the tree branch, or whatever it is, kind of knocking us off course, just saying, yeah, don't bother so much. Lose some of your first love. God won't mind. C.S. Lewis has written a book called Screw Tapes. It's the Screw Tape Letters, and it is um, Screw Tapes, uh, and it's a brilliant, brilliant book. And if you haven't read it, it's a book about Screw Tape, who is a senior devil. Uh, it's all make believe, but it's really, really it's like a conversation between Screw Tape, this senior devil, and um, Wormwood, this this kind of like apprentice young devil, and, and Screwtape is writing letters to him because Wormwood has been assigned with a young Christian to kind of knock off path, knock off course. That's kind of his, his mission, uh, really. And this is what Screwtape, as he gives advice to his young sort of apprentice devil, uh, this is what Screwtape says about the troughs, so the low points. I find that C.S. Lewis likes the word trough. I can't even say the word. I've been pre- trough, 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 trough. Trough, trough. Right, I shouldn't have started that because now I'm going to struggle again. I've got over it. Um, but he talks about the low points of the human life. And this is what Screw Tape says. In the first place, I have always found that the trough, so the low periods of the human undulation, which means ups and downs. C.S. Lewis was a clever guy. Um, I like to dumb it down a bit personally. <laughs> Up and down, that'll do. Uh, but the, uh, the periods of the human undulation, ups and downs, provide excellent opportunity for all sensual temptations, particularly those of sex. The, at- the, attack, uh, the attack has a much better chance of success when the man's whole inner world is drab and cold and empty. We must understand uh, that there will be difficult moments And it's in those moments that we are vulnerable. We must understand that. There will be difficult moments, and we are vulnerable in those moments. Daniel and his friends, in this moment, incredibly vulnerable, given loads of opportunity, being taken out of home, put in this random place. Vulnerable. And it's like kind of like, if we stop here... And if we just like, if you actually put yourselves in their lives, it's a cliffhanger moment. What are they going to do? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Forget the story that we know. What's going to happen next? Put yourself in their place. They're in the king's place. They're in the palace, or they've been learned to get brought into the palace. What's going to happen next? It's a cliffhanger moment. How are they going to respond? And it's in times of stress and upheaval that it is vital that we know what they knew. That God is sovereign. That he sits in heaven and laughs. He is sovereign over everything. 
It's vital that we know this, so that when we find ourselves in those places of vulnerability and confusion, ah, God, you're sovereign. It's not how I expected it. It's not how I wanted it. But you're sovereign. What hope, what rest that can give us. It doesn't mean we'd be lazy. I'm not saying that. Hear me. But we trust in a God who is creator, flings the stars into the sky, and is yet sovereign over everything. Our lives, absolutely included. The Apostle Paul puts it like this um, in Acts 17 when he addresses the people of, uh, in Athens. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. So from one man being Adam, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. God, the creator, is sovereign over times and boundaries. He says when King Nebuchadnezzar can go to Jerusalem. He says when he can't. He says when kings will rise. He says when kings will fall. He says when nations will rise. He says when nations will fall. He is sovereign over everything. It's not just a haphazardly rolling a dice and seeing what's happened. His sovereignty is all about being known by us. And so he appoints kings and queens and and everything he does. It's all about knowing him. And he wants us to know him in his sovereignty. And so as kings come and as kings go, and God is above all of that. And in that, he wants to be found by us. I just love this. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. Perhaps. It's interesting. God gives us choice. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Perhaps you don't know Jesus. Perhaps you don't know the hope that he gives. Perhaps you don't know the joy that he can bring in suffering. As you perhaps yourself are going through a difficult situation. I believe that God right now, he would just say, perhaps you want to reach out. Perhaps you want to get to know me. Jesus is here. He's amongst us. If you haven't felt his presence before, if you haven't sort of wanted to walk with him before, he wants to walk with you through all of life's ups and downs. And he wants to be found by us. So whether you've known him for many years, whether you don't know him, right now, today, he wants to be found by us afresh, again, for the first time, for the hundredth time. And he uh, is able to be found by us because he steps into the mess. Because he himself goes into Babylon. How can we know God? How can we know this amazing creator? Just It's mind-blowing. How can we know him? Because he came into the mess. Because he took on flesh. He became a human being, born in a very messy place, at a very messy time. Again, another story that's not great for kids, to be honest, when you actually start to look at it. As, a, as, he, as he's a child, and there's, there's kids who are, basically, the, the 
king at the time, the, is looking to get rid of all the baby boys. He comes into that messy situation. And then that moment that Jesus hung on the cross is a moment like the defeat of Jerusalem as promises hang in the balance. As creation held its breath. As the disciples, his followers, looked on. Where are you, God? As his mum, as his friends looked at the cross. Hope, promises of God spoken all the way back at the time of the garden. I will send someone hanging in the balance. People's worlds falling apart. It looked like the enemy had won. It looked like Jerusalem had fallen. Yeah, we sing that song, don't we? It goes, our saviour displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. And it's like, should we do four bars? Should we do eight bars? Ah, let's go 25. <laughs> Just this pause. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. Amazing, right? We love it because it's true. But there was this moment of what's going to happen. Again, we know the, the end story, but looking. Jesus arose with our freedom in hand and the, and the curtain gets torn in two. And suddenly we can know God. We have full access to God. We have full access to hope, to life forever, to a place where one day there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. Babylon will be no more. Wow. That's our hope. That's our future. And if you don't know that today, hear it, know it, learn it. It's beautiful. You have hope. It's just, it's wonderful. Why do I get excited during worship? Because of that hope. I was so broken. We all were. Whether you think you live a good life or don't, we were all broken. We were all dead. We were all without hope. But Jesus arrived. Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. We can know God. John 16, you will have trouble. Forget that part of the fridge magnet. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We take heart in Jesus. Yes, we will have trouble. Yep, get it, learn it, get it in there, get it on your fridge. But take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Know him. So as we sort of land today, I want to just read a little bit more from Screwtape. I could, instead of preaching today, just have read you the book. could have sat down and had a lovely, cozy time. It's an amazing book. If you've not read it, uh, you should. This is what uh, Screwtape again says to Wormwood. Sooner or later, he, being God, withdraws. If not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, there it is again, low periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. 
Uh, hence the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. We can drag our patients along by continual tempting, and the more their will is inf- interfered with, the better. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger excuse me, uh, than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks, why has he been forsaken and still obeys? Wow. Or a quote. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks, why has he been forsaken yet still obeys? Give God the opportunity when things are difficult, when things are tough, Give God the opportunity to teach you how to walk. Let him send you off so that we would become mature, so that we would become rock-like in our faith. My one-year-old is just at the stage where he can do like five kind of steps, six maybe, seven at a push. Not that we've been counting. Oscar's been counting. To encourage him to walk, he grips onto my hand very tight. To encourage him to walk, I think this is okay, I push my hand away from him so that he can walk on his own. I don't want to go around life carrying Caleb. And God, in our lives, is doing the same thing. He's teaching us to walk on our own. He's teaching us to let go. Perhaps even this morning, you're holding on. And he said, no, let go. There's a maturity in that. And there's moments where it seems that uh, every trace, every trace of God, has van- he hasn't vanished, he's there, but it feels like that. It feels like we have been forsaken and it is in these moments we have a choice which we won't have in heaven. Everything would be perfect. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no Babylon. We won't have this choice. It'll all be, God, we'll see him face to face. But right now, we have the privilege of in the moments of pain and suffering, in the moments of disappointment, in the moments of disagreement, we have the privilege of even so, God, I choose to obey you. Even so, I choose to worship you. Even so, I choose to find joy in who you are. Friends, this is the heart of Daniel. It's a beautiful book. This is the heart of Christian discipleship. And boy, I believe we need this today. Can we stand?